Mary Poppins, practically perfect in every way. Be the miners. Sure, they're like three years old. Miners, not miners. If you eliminate the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. <laughs> I don't, don't want to kill you. What would I do without you? Every time someone says, I do not believe in fairies, somewhere there's a fairy that falls down we dead. We women who aren't afraid to fight, to stand up for our dignity. Transference is inevitable, sir. Every human being has an impact. There are no colored bathrooms in this building. And a simple string of pearls. Well, I don't own pearls. Lord knows you don't pay colors enough to afford pearls. There's one thing the history of evolution has taught us. It's that life will not be contained. Life finds a way. Words are, in my not-so-humble opinion, our most inexhaustible source of magic. Hello and welcome. This is Bite the Pen. I am Jen Hansen, and sitting on the other side of a wall, but kind of across from me, is Miss Charlotte Martinez. Hello. Hello. Ni hao. (laughs) How's it going? Hey, we're still on this country, so we gotta say a few words. It's very true. It's going great. Good. The last two episodes, we've been talking about the historical aspects of Mulan, the legend. Do you want to remind us real quick what a legend is? It is an amalgamation of historic (laughs) events that support or hyperbolize a figure. Unfortunately, it can't be proven most of the time that this person actually existed. Mm. But a lot of fiction and nonfiction come from their story. And it tends to go through time accumulating new ideas, new thoughts, agenda. Agenda was a big word we used last time. Legends usually have an agenda based on who's using it and for what purpose. So Mulan is definitely in that category. Absolutely. And as you said, like depending on where uh, and when those will change, the ideas behind them and what they'll use them for. And I think that's a big part of what we'll be talking about today as well, because we're going to be looking at the modern iterations of Mulan, the legend, and the different connotations it can have. And one of the things I noticed most that I'm excited to at least talk about briefly for each one is genre. In the past, the genre of Mulan has kind of stayed pretty compact And it's not until recently with film and television that it seems to have, like, all of a sudden there's, like, all these different kinds of iterations of it that I think are really interesting. But before we get too deep into it, you are going to tell us some more contextual things, right? So we can tie in to the original material, yes. I kind of want to fill in what was happening in history, in Chinese history, between where we left off, which was the Qing dynasty under the Manchu rule, which was a foreign power at the time. So from that period all the way to where we're going to begin, which is post-imperialist China, our first source is not until 1930s. So I'm going to fill in what's happening before that because I feel like that's important. Yes. In the Qing dynasty, we talked about three novels. And I'm glad you brought up genre because I feel like those novels did expand her legend immensely because of character and setting Mm. because her historic setting differs even in Chinese history it wasn't always set in the same time or place she wasn't always the same Han Chinese hero sometimes she would be part of a nomadic clan so again that's agenda but those novels primarily had the message of resisting the Manchu rule because it was a foreign power 
a lot of Han Chinese considered Mulan to be theirs, so they would use her as a symbol of liberation. Mm. So towards the end of their dynasty, that weird thing called the Opium Wars. <laughs> Sounds fun. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, that's all the Western influence. Those Westerners really got it in their court. They're like, you know what we should do? We should sell addictive <laughs> stimulants to this country that's not being very nice to us. That sounds exactly like what we would do. Yeah, it does. And there's, I'm sure there was some positive influence in there. Europe brought a lot of cool stuff their way. But once they saw that the opium drug was making a big economic dent, both in Europe and in China, Europe kind of took a hold of that and they became a dominant power in China. So the Manchus mm. just like, they were just as far as power goes it was mm. dwindling but the han chinese were happy about that right that's what they wanted not <laughs> in the form of opium wars but that's they wanted so sad. they but, yeah. needed some change right it is a sad way to do it but um and it would mark the end of imperialist china that was the last mm. emperor the last tyrannical rule of china to date mm. Because as we know, we have the lovely communists now in place over there. <laughs> she didn't mean it that way, but yeah. <laughs> I said lovely. It's called sarcasm. <laughs> I, I heard lovely. I don't know. I'm just saying. <laughs> Maybe I don't know enough about it. But in theory, I feel like communism is pretty much everyone living in the middle class. And that sounds pretty okay to me. It doesn't work like that, but I feel like it could. The theory of communism is solid. The practice, not so much. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so that was the next power to come up. Well, technically there was two. It was communism and nationalism. Mm. And both of those got a foothold after the Qing dynasty. Interesting. And that was confusing. That started a civil war. Ah. I was like, why? Okay. Well, that, yeah. <laughs> that would explain it. I guess that was... Not a good combination. They kind of split up power a lot. A lot of bad things again. Mm. As I've said before, Chinese history is just all over the place. And long. Very long. But communism is going to be important when we talk about feminism and Mulan. Mm. So it's good to know that that is the power that won over in the end, obviously. Oh, and just to mention, you know, in the 1920s and 1930s, feminism around the world was going to be a thing. And we'll talk about feminists' ideals for Mulan when we talk about the sources. But I do want to say that it's in existence at this time. And mm -hmm. there is a woman's liberation army in China that is working with communists and liberation movements. Hmm. And they're in pretty high power positions. But again, it's in that weird way where it's like, oh, yeah, you have the power. And they're having to do things behind the curtain because obviously they're they don't, right? They're just given the pedestal to say what they need to say and then like, okay, come down now. That's enough. Yeah, that's power for sure. <laughs> and it's oh, happening gosh. everywhere. Americans are really good at that, but it was happening in here in America too. But at least we were doing something. Yeah. A good wave of new feminism. Yeah. Interesting. Oh, those damn feminists. <laughs> They're silly causes. But that's a pro in the communists' column. Because they wouldn't have an opportunity otherwise. This was the first time that even peasant women were gaining power, which they'd never had before. And then when World War II rolled around, which was still before, it was for them that it started around the 1930s because the Japanese invaded China. 
And that gave women more things to do, which is to replace their men in industrial workplaces. Which is what we did. Everywhere. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. Again, a very necessary role that they take up during wartime. During wartime. That's the key, right? During yeah. wartime. And when that's over, there's like this reestablishment of, no, no, <laughs> you do not have power. Go back to what you were doing. And I think that was a big part of second wave feminism and first wave feminism, but especially second wave feminists who who saw mothers and grandmothers who got to contribute something to, I'm talking about the American war, do something for their country and their people and then be asked to return to the home and return to being domesticated, <laughs> basically. I think a lot of second wave feminism has that underlying anger because of that because there was such like what do you call that there's such a um, liberation there's like this sense of liberation and then it's quickly taken back kind of like what we saw with some of the original stories in mulan with you know her family being okay with her being a woman as a man in the army because when she returns she brings uh not necessarily honor but she keeps her filial piety, and she's done something that brings a name to the family, which is all really important. But it's during wartime. So if it weren't during wartime, she would have been, like, beaten or killed or worse. Agreed. Only under extraordinary circumstances, apparently, is growth accepted. Otherwise, we're just fighting behind the curtains, which is still fighting, but it's an awful way to fight. And necessary. It's it's complicated, obviously, and it's not like we're experts or anything, but it is something that I think would be really important to consider when looking at material like this, like we're doing. And I don't know that there's a lot of that happening in the more like academic or intellectual level from this perspective specifically of like women and their uh, their power structures and how they like interact with them anyway this is really off topic i'm so sorry it's not though because i have quite a few <laughs> notes on feminism because we didn't even state it but this modern mulan is a feminist figure now that can't be helped anymore For, at some point actually even between the the novels and the first film Mulan has become a feminist figure. And actually, China was okay with that. Again, communism was big, and they needed women. So if they could say, hey, Mulan is now for both men of the army and women who are now taking jobs that are necessary, she is a figure for all, but especially for women, because we need you. You know what I mean? Yeah. So we can now say she's a feminist figure in modern China. That's Yeah, it's so... Uh... I guess that's what I mean by it being complicated because I part of me is like, yay, and the other half of me is like horrified because they're trying to use the thing that we're fighting for. And I like that a lot of people are looking at it and taking it back, but obviously not everyone is doing that. And there's this sort of pretend game that we're all playing if we're one <laughs> of those people that like, see, I have power. See, things are fine. See, I can do what I need to do. And it's like, yes, but no. <laughs> That's the problem. Especially when you step back and look at the facts. And I'm sure these women were doing that. They, they were working in the offices of the communist parties and seeing 
not any significant change as far as women's roles and power. I'm sure they were just as disappointed. Yeah. But as far as context, yeah, this is where we leave off. The Japanese invade and they do occupy parts of China. So not only is China in this weird transition government mode, but now they're dealing with another foreign power invading because the Japanese have gotten a foot up in all of this mess because they're now the new economic power. And China has gotten rid of European help at this point. The The communists were like, hell no, there's no more of that influence going to be allowed. And a lot of foreign people left China for that reason. So it's it feels like a nationalist thing and it feels like a communist thing. There's a combination of both of those. And it's not going to work well to have both there, obviously, because when we come to World War II, things will sort of crash and burn again. But we'll get there because... Our, our first film takes place as World War II is starting. So maybe we'll talk about that for our first source. Cool. Other than that, I feel like that's... Do you have any questions? Did I forget any big, big event? I'm sure I will as we go along. Okay. <laughs> so we're going to do pretty much the same thing we've been doing in the last two episodes, which is we'll talk about the source and some of the information around the source. We'll get a summary of it, and then we'll kind of discuss the different subjects that we've mentioned as well as others right indeed cool so let's start with it's called mulan joins the army fantastic title very original uh that came out in 1939 in china i have a list of names of people who worked on it but they are not easy to pronounce at all um i would suggest maybe going and checking out uh, who these people are because it is kind of a cool... It was, it's a movie that I didn't expect to like. And Charlotte will tell us all about it uh, if you're ready. Yeah, let's do it. I'm going to do a <clears throat> semi-short summary. <laughs> Again, these are movies. We're doing our best to like summarize what you need to know. Yeah. We meaning her because she's good at it and I'm not. And I might leave out important stuff. So, So you should go see it. There we go. It's on YouTube for free. Oh, yes. Yes. We didn't even mention that. And we uh, we watched it at a, a quicker speed because, <laughs> yes, you know, in the 30s, they were taking their sweet time doing everything. 1.5 was perfect. It's just it makes it a little faster and you can't you get all the same thing. So I highly recommend doing that. Otherwise, it's just tedious. It kind of like gets stuck in your brain because they have really high pitched voices. And when they sing, it's like that whistle. I mean, that's totally a Western perspective. <laughs> it's very much a Western perspective. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so the film begins with Mulan, a witty and skilled hunter who accidentally shoots a man with an arrow thinking that he is a rabbit in the bush. Mulan apologizes, but the man and his gang taunt Mulan, but she's able to escape because she distracts them by uh, making them believe you can shoot an arrow with one hand. I thought that was such a cute... Great. Yeah, that's such a cute detail. She's so sassy. Right off the bat, she's sassy and, like, playing these guys for fools because they are. And there's that characteristic of cleverness, right? We've talked about her being clever in many, many versions strategy mm -hmm. one of her key features i love it uh once home mulan is scolded for not being more ladylike but the conversation ends when a conscription arrives for her ill father 
Mulan convinces her parents that she should take his place in the army. Reluctantly, her parents agree, and she changes into her father's uniform, practices combat, and rehearses her vibrato before leaving. That was kind of a cute addition, too. She's, like, trying to talk like this. It's really cute. And then she, like, squeaks every time she switches. Yeah. (laughs) On the road to the training camp, Mulan is again taunted by her fellow soldiers. And though she appears as a man, they poke fun at her for her fair skin and beauty. Homosexual much? (laughs) There's a lot in this film, I feel. There is. In all of them. That's true. But Mulan teaches them a lesson by disarming them with a rock. And those who witness show Mulan great respect, including Yo Wan Du, a soldier who helped defend Mulan, and the two of them become friends. Friends. Okay, can I just can I just say that that rock scene was hilarious <laughs> and not effective. It was not done well and it was I was like what the hell just happened and she had to ex- you had to explain it to me. She like throws a pebble. The the camera didn't show what she was doing, and suddenly the on the other end the, the men fell down, and I was like, "What? What just happened?" <laughs> that was a weird scene. It's film. It's the 1930s, <laughs> but still, that's true. We should give them some credit. So three years later, the war continues, and Mulan has risen in rank with Yoan Du as her subordinate. Haha. <laughs> When two enemy generals come forward and surrender, Mulan is suspicious of their motives and requests that she and Yo Wan Du investigate by going into their enemy camp in disguise. Yo Wan Du dresses as a hunter. Mulan dresses as a woman. <gasps> Double disguise! <laughs> the investigation is successful. Mulan finds out that the enemy is planning an attack. And now that they're prepared, Mulan leads her men into a defense position. And they force a surrender from the enemy. But unfortunately, Mulan's general doesn't make it. But he appoints Mulan as supreme commander before he dies. And Yo Wan Du is second in command. Which is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. So basically, she goes to the highest rank before the war is over. Very impressive. They started leaf blowing. I'm like, oh no, my window's open. Is that what they're doing? I thought it was a plane or something. Okay. Oh, sorry. We apologize if you can hear wind blowing. Okay, so she's risen in rank. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, yeah. Then there's this really long song that Mulan and Yoan do sing to each other. And it's about the moon goddess, which insinuates love, right? She's the goddess of love. And when they're both singing... It was so cute. It was cute. But remember, Yoan do doesn't know she's female. so And he's drunk. So maybe yeah. that was a... You know, oh, that makes it okay. But he's saying all the, like, he's the um, instigator here in the relationship. He's saying, like, I will follow you anywhere. Wherever you go, I'll go. It's really kind of awkward. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I thought it was sweet. It was sweet. It was sweet. But this is the first time we see a version where it's, like, hardcore love song when it's understood that they're both men. And I'm like, oh, full points to China for, like, going for it. You know? I don't know. I thought that was impressive. And Mulan sort of plays along. She says, like, oh, there might be a, a disguise of the moon. Or I'm, I, I forget what the lyrics say, but she's kind of inching her way to the truth. So he might catch on. But he's, like, off his rockers drunk, you know. So maybe not. I just, I thought it it was really cute because she keeps telling him to leave. And he does. And then he comes back. And she's like, <sighs> As a, then they break into song. And they're, like, singing back and forth. And it's, yeah, it's definitely... 
the vibes that people got from the animated Disney film is definitely connected to the vibes in this, ah. where there is like a lot of uh, subtext and literal text that the, the, the male character is at, at the very least bisexual. Exactly. You're right. I'm glad it, it's established this early on in the film format. Me too. And it's an interesting use of like breaking. It's a nice window, I guess is what I'm trying to say, because you wouldn't see that otherwise. Obviously, they would never do that. But because the audience knows she's female, it's okay that this is happening. And we don't think about it in that way, which is both kind of like communism, really <laughs> shitty, but also kind of cool in theory. Uh-huh. I mean, because we, we get to see something like that that we wouldn't otherwise see. Ever. Agreed. Anyway, sorry. No, no, I please do. Please <laughs> comment on these things because we may not get to it in discussion. So I'm glad to hear it. True. <laughs> so upon the war's conclusion, Mulan is offered a position in the Supreme Court, but she turns it down to return home. Followed by Yo Wandu and her men, Mulan is greeted by her village. She changes back into a woman and is married to the befuddled yet happy Yo Wandu, who is probably super relieved to be like, oh, I can marry you now. Awesome. <laughs> and it does end with marriage, which we've seen before, right? Yeah. And just to, on a happy note, if this, if anybody cares, none of these <laughs> movies end in suicide. So if you listen to our previous episodes, you will know that sometimes that was the ending. Yeah, sometimes. I I really enjoyed this version. I did not think I would, but I did. She was just so cute and very... I liked how she was, and I liked the I liked the chemistry that her and the male had on screen because it really did sort of help. And and speaking uh, of course about genre, you as you mentioned, there's singing in it. I don't know that we would call it a musical, but there was singing in it, and we have like pretty funny comedic moments. I mean, more so than I expected. Because this is the one, right, where she dresses up like, I think you said, like, she dresses up like a woman from the opposite side. And all of that is pretty funny, like charming funny. And even how she interacts with the two guys that are like, who are you? Is pretty funny. Those are all tropes of a comedy, for sure. The mistaken identity, uh, changing roles, all of that is what makes a comedy so delightful. And they use those aspects here. It is funny. It is. And then there are there are those dramatic moments also. Like I, I didn't. I guess I. I guess this says more about me, but I didn't expect to really find much to like in it because it's old. Because I didn't expect them to handle any of the themes in it very well, which that's ignorant on my part. But I think overall, I was pretty impressed by the gender elements, like you were mentioning with the moon, singing with the the moon goddess. And I do, I guess I want to mention one other thing that I think is important, especially as we move along and get to the last source that we'll be looking at. And that's historical accuracy versus good storytelling. And despite the fun aspects of this or the unrealistic aspects of this, of her being so obviously female, dressed as a man and acting like a man, which is done as you would expect it to be done. Like, they're not actually going to try to make her be a man, which I think is kind of weird that they don't do that. But I get it. Despite all of that, I feel like 
historical accuracy in terms of what pe how people would react to things, how people responded to war, to each other, to even like bonding while in war. Like I thought all of those things felt at the very least realistic. Did you have that sense of, did you like, was there a part where you felt like the storytelling aspect pulled away from it feeling real or historically accurate? I don't know. Historically, I'm not sure when and where they were placing the story to begin with. It was hard to tell. And I'm not Chinese, so even if I saw the set... You're not? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but if I saw the set, I wouldn't be able to tell that either. But when the movie was being made, it was during the Civil War. It was between nationalists and communists, and Japanese were already there. So maybe it was... Yeah, it was done on purpose to just be like, oh, it's some place in time we don't need to say which <laughs> or where so it was hard to mm -hmm. tell but it i i don't i feel like that wasn't important because their message again was a message of glorifying warfare of getting the mm -hmm. han chinese to enlist right to fight against the japanese mm -hmm. it's another foreign invasion so mulan's always going to be used to say look chinese men you need to fight for our nation as far as what happens in the story, that felt historically accurate. The rising in rank, how many years it takes to fight the mm -hmm. war, what Mulan does, mm -hmm. which is to predict the enemy attack. We've heard that before as well in the legends that she always prepares ahead of time, which is awesome. Very true. So yeah, I wasn't distracted. And despite the genre being dramatic and comedic, all those fun things, I thought it was pretty, I didn't disbelieve it. There was no magic, you know? <laughs> I believe it's called chi and it uh only works if you're a witch because that is how Chinese history works. You're welcome. Absolutely. We'll get to that. So you're right. <laughs> Out of all of the movies, this one felt really historically accurate because I wasn't distracted by anything. Yeah. And and you know, like you said, we're both not Chinese and we did not study Chinese history. I mean, you have been, but that's been fairly recent. So our perspective is going to be our perspective and not the one true perspective. But despite that, I do agree. I felt like there was nothing in there, but but maybe I'm wrong because even you just said that, you know, she was made to be very western and that's one of the reasons why I liked it. So maybe inherently it is not historical because it doesn't necessarily live up to or replicate what it would actually be like for a Chinese woman in those situations. That's true. There was a clear agenda, for sure, because communism was trying to fight nationalism. And this Mulan was being told from a communist perspective, which is, we need our women. And because the Western influences are pretty hardcore at this point, let's make it look Western, as in we, we would want our Chinese women to feel strong, you know empowered and not petite right. right that's why she was cast right that fragility that we talked about in the first or second episode that you know chinese women they it, the the more power you had or the better off you were the more fragile you needed to be or appear to be because that was what made you that yeah <laughs> just just i mean excellent job patriarchy that is top notch <laughs> Like, here's all the power, but you will not be able to walk because we're going to bind your feet and you're going to have to sit in a chair and not be able to move because you need to be fragile. Like, 
<laughs> At this point, foot binding and arranged marriages were abolished. So they were pretty proud of that. Thank goodness. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway, is there anything more we want to talk about this one before we move on? This was actually based on an opera that was written 30 years before. So basically the same events happen in this movie that happened in the opera. There would have been more songs, but otherwise it was pretty much just a transition from stage to film. But I thought mm -hmm. it worked really well. I had notes about it somewhere, but I don't see them here. <laughs> I don't remember what I was going to say about it other than like that kind of opera, that kind of singing that they do, which personally is not a favorite of mine. For me, it's very squeaky and high pitched. And after a while, yeah, it just feels kind of like, okay, bring it down a couple octaves. But I didn't grow up in that culture. So, you know, it has a completely different significance to somebody from that culture. And I want to be very respectful of that. I'm not trying to be disrespectful. The only reason I'm bringing it up is because that's where this music was based, was from that opera that you mentioned, and that kind of opera. And it's an interesting mix because they wanted to make it so Western. That's true. That's the least Western aspect of the film, in my opinion. Absolutely. I didn't think about that. You're right. So in a lot of ways, then, I guess what we're saying is that this film brought together Chinese and Western audiences better probably than any other Mulan film ever made. That's a bold statement. I think I agree. I mean, we'll go, we'll go through the films, but it's definitely better than the newest one. Oh, yeah. Well, everything's better With than that. With that same objective. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway... So the next source we're going to be talking about is another film, and it is called Lady General Hua Mulan. Hua Mulan. I said that like it was going to continue. <laughs> it was from 1964. Uh, it was made in Hong Kong, which there's a lot there also that we'll probably talk about later. And it was, the language was in Mandarin. There's a lot of names here again that I can't, there's one guy who did the music. His name's Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but that's what it is. Oh, so here, the, this is the one where I put the notes. Maybe I put the note in the wrong place. But there's something called a Huang Mei. I don't know if that's how you say it. Uh, which is a rural folk song and dance for the last 200 years that was part of sort of how this ended up looking and feeling. No way. Yeah. So it's like it's a specific kind of show. <laughs> Dancing and singing. I'm so curious. Did, did that have anything to do with the Mandarin language? Like a folk song genre, you know what I mean? What I read was very little, but it said that it's been a form of rural folk song for the last 200 years in China. And that's different than Hong Kong, obviously, but I think people conflate the two because of the history and Despite what the communists are doing right now, I think a lot of people still consider them to be two separate places. <laughs> I see. So I, d I don't know, I guess is my answer. Cool. I think that's fascinating, though. Do you want to give us the lowdown on the film and we can talk about it as we go? Indeed. Summary number two. Mulan again is introduced as a skilled hunter. Upon returning home, she learns that her father has been enlisted into the army. And though she offers to go in his place, she is turned down. Mulan then asks her cousin, Ping, for help. Ping trains Mulan and helps her with a disguise meant to convince her father that she is ready for war. So Mulan, dressed as a man, spars with her father and wins. And once he discovers that it was his own daughter that beat him, he's like, yeah, girl, 
go for it <laughs> yeah girl you go <laughs> you go fight that war <laughs> no meaning he's like proud of her and concerned as he usually is in these versions but he does allow her to go um so then mulan in male disguise and accompanied by her cousin ping travels to the military camp confronting awkward situations along the way because these are all male comrades now. And Ping does step in a few times to like protect her because he's the only one at this point who knows she's a woman. And he stays pretty close because of that reason. So time goes by. Mulan learns how to identify enemy movement by tracking the flight of birds. And because of this, she is able to warn her general about an attack, which they do win because she again was able to warn everybody. During the battle, Mulan is injured and her gender is nearly revealed, but her cousin again steps in. Um, I think the injury was in her arm. So he like rips a, I think he rips like a hole in her arm rather than like taking off her entire um, top gown. Right. So he's like, no, mm-hmm. don't do it. I got it. I got it. <laughs> in another awkward situation, Mulan's supreme general offers his daughter in marriage to her. And mm-hmm. she like sidesteps that by saying her arm is hurt. <laughs> She's like, you know what? My arm's sore. I'm just going to go. Thanks for that. But I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. That's cool. <laughs> Meanwhile, Mulan begins to feel feelings for her commanding general lee and she tries to tell him of his love without giving her gender away but she's again it's a song there's a song between the two where she's insinuating with the goddess moon that she's in love and she even says she's kind of in love with him and he's like what do you mean we're brothers (laughs) so it's him who's confused this time it sucks when that happens I love you. Well, you, but you're like my brother. What are you talking about? <laughs> like, oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> but am I? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> so upon returning home, Mulan dresses again as a woman, and the now astonished Lee agrees to marry her. But first, he must report back to the Supreme General. But before he leaves, Lee offers Mulan a sword as a gift of betrothal. The betrayed. <laughs> of the betrothed of the marriage which is to come. The uh-huh. end. What did you, what so initial thoughts? What did you uh what did you think about this one? I thought it was pretty similar in plot to the the thirties version. And genre? Mm-hmm. I mean it it, mm-hmm. it had a lot of songs that furthered well, I don't know if it furthered the plot, but it definitely set a mood in what scenes were happening. I, yeah, after that, I have comedy, musical, drama, war, and romance, which is a lot of the same genres of the film, the first film, but not something that we're seeing a lot of in the historical context in the novels or in the, the old versions. Right, yeah. A lot of theatrical elements which come across. Again, I thought it was funny. I thought the songs were cool, sometimes a little long, but again, that's the Chinese opera thing. Mm-hmm. When we're ready, I would like to say a few things about the cousin. <laughs> Ah, yes. Yeah. Do you want to go ahead and talk about that? Well, I kind of want to hear what you thought initially. I loved it. (laughs) I think I'm going to say that for most of these films, but I really loved this one. It was kind of a joy to watch it. And there were like some, some things in it that I didn't see in the other versions, like them going to this, it was like a motel, basically. Right. And trying to figure out this room situation. And it's sort of a comedy of errors where it's like she's like 
she needs a room, but she doesn't need a room, but she ends up with a room and her cousin has to sleep on the floor. But then all these guys come in and she's like, come on in. And it just kind of keeps going back and forth. And it, it's not necessary, but it's really fun to watch. And you get to see who she is. Even when she's dressed as a man, you get to see sort of how she's operating and what she's thinking, which is so different than her cousin. So it's really fun to watch that dynamic. You're right. This is the first source that we see. I mean, because we didn't read the novels, so maybe it wasn't there. We didn't get as much time with character development in any other version. This is the first time we get specifics where we feel sympathy and we feel empathy and we can relate to Mulan because it is an awkward situation and yeah. more situations come up like that, like washing her feet or being offered a daughter mm -hmm. of a supreme commander you know this is like just great <laughs> this is it's mm -hmm. totally historically accurate but we get to see it we get to experience it it matters now yeah you're right oh my god yeah and we get to see that right off the bat with her father right i mean just the fact that we spend that much time with the family in their unit is kind of cool because in the other versions that we watch after this and that we watch before you get the sense of her relationship with her father and a very vague sense of her relationship with her mother. And that's kind of it. But in this one, there's extended family. And not only is there extended family, but we spend time with them. And we spend time with the characters uh, that are people in the village that end up going along to war also. Yeah. And we get to see kind of their stories and how, you know, there's a guy with a kid you know, and he doesn't really want to leave, but he has to go to war. And we kind of see how him and his buddy, which is very much like the animated Mulan version, are kind of picking on Mulan a little bit. But there's also like a bond forming and we see them all coming together in another scene where they're doing like this competition within the military where they're all fighting each other. And it's like one by one and who's going to win is going to get something or whatever. And her friends who she's bonded with in that part don't ever treat her like she's a woman. They don't, like, hold back because of anything. They don't know she's a woman, but they never hold back with her. And so they do really have this, like, equality that happens where not only do we get to know them, which, thank you, we have a sense of how they've changed because there was even character development for the cousin and for the neighbor guy and obviously for Milan and her love interest. But there were a lot of aspects in this film where I was like, yes, <laughs> Disney call these people, watch this movie, and check out what's going on here with characterization. And if we were to divide the percentage of character development to war scenes, because now that I think about it, I can't remember any of the battle scenes from that movie. What I do remember is those moments <laughs> of character development, character growth, bonding, the romance of it was much better than any other version. Much. Even though in this one, he's a commanding officer of hers, but it didn't feel like that. They were very much on the same, oh, no, she was prom promoted to his level. They were equal, mm -hmm. weren't they? Wow. They, they became equals, See, yeah. even that was perfect. You're right. I can't believe yeah. Disney didn't look at this one for percentages, you know what I mean? Yeah, it was much more memorable because of it. The battles are cool, but why? Why? We've seen that. You know, we know she wins. Okay, we get it. We want to know how and why. Exactly. Um, I wrote down gender roles, dressing in disguise since a little girl, but I don't remember that. Do you remember that? <laughs> the excuse that Mulan wants her father to tell everybody is that they wanted her, him, right, to be, wait, what was it? <laughs> 
tell me. This okay. So the, thank you for reminding me because I couldn't remember what that was talking. This is like the most ridiculous I think of all the ideas in terms of her being a woman in the army. She suggested to them, to her parents, that they tell everyone that she was actually born male, but they never thought that he would be able to do much and. So now they're letting him dress as male because that's the gender he actually is. And she says it so quick, but Jen and I were like, what? <laughs> Why would you need to tell everybody that? But it makes sense. All, the, all of the men in her village were going to go. So I'm sure they would have recognized her. Maybe that was why. It's just another one of those versions where, I mean, they're all like this, but she, she's never actually looks male on screen. She never actually, we never buy it as an audience. There wasn't any movie where i was like i can see it i can see how they think that she's male you know and it makes sense but it's it's a little strange but so adding that element to this one i was like "Mm, that's not necessary you know yeah you don't need to think about it that much (laughs) i agree i agree should we talk about a little bit of the context here where we are as far as chinese government you tell us So this is after the war. World War II is now over. The Japanese occupation has ended. The Civil War has ended. And the communism came up from all of that. And now they're the dominant government. In 1949, they established the People's Republic. I don't know if you've heard of that before, because that's sort of what China is now as well. Mm -hmm. But they called it the People's Republic. Okay. That was totally a false equality under, get this, a democratic dictatorship. Mm. Have you heard of this before? Mm-mm. Democratic dictatorship. Can it be democratic if it's a dictatorship? It sounds like an <laughs> oxymoron, doesn't it? Doesn't it? You're like, how do I you mean, do that? Yeah. You can't do that. That's not possible. So you're saying it's one thing and actually doing another thing? Is that what this is? That sounds like a dictator thing, yeah. And that's what I've researched it. It's a democratic dictatorship. That's what they started off with. What does that mean exactly? It was still communism. But I think this Mm -hmm. term was applied because they wanted to give power to the peasant level. And they wanted to Mm -hmm. take down landowners who were the aristocratic. They're squishing it so that everybody's on the same level of kind of middle classy sort of thing. And everybody Mm -hmm. gets a word in their government. But it wasn't happening like that they were just taking land away people were scrambling to survive or they would sometimes distribute enough wealth that everybody was okay for a while they had the effect of having a vote the effect the illusion of having a vote but they really didn't because in the end it was the people in power who decided how equal things were of course it all reads very confusingly Mm. and having this term in there didn't clear up anything for me but that's what was happening. It was a, um, and then women were again practicing this uh, policy of concealment, which is when they they try to progress behind the curtain, and that's what they were doing with the Communist Party. They were trying to make change without the communist leaders actually realizing it. Mm-hmm. But like you said, this is taking place in Hong Kong, which was different than the rest of China because they were under British rule after World War II, even though it was a majority of Chinese living there, right? So what does that mean? What, like, did you hear of anything more about this film because it was in Hong Kong, or? I didn't, no. Mm-mm. I mean, I know a very little amount about Hong Kong, but that they've been trying to liberate themselves from the Communist Party and the Chinese for a very long time, 
and mm. that the conditions have only become worse over time. And it's similar to Tibet, you know, like free Tibet. And that's the same because the Tibetans don't want the Chinese there, but the Chinese are refusing to leave. And that's what they do, apparently, to some degree. Exactly. I feel like the agenda of this film then, well, I don't feel like it, it actually says it, which is <laughs> that the Chinese filmmakers were trying to present a message of unity, which is like, we've just suffered a war, but don't forget Hong Kong, you're still Chinese, therefore we all must work together as a communist party would to lift each other up and win the next war. And, you know, things were pretty settled now, but it the new message was like, we're all a family. And I think that's why Ping the cousin was included in this version, which is... He needed to protect her. She needed to protect him. She was the same ranking officer as her love interest. Everybody, again, is on the same level. And mm -hmm. it couldn't be one without all of them in this version. As a propaganda piece, that's very effective. I mean, I can see how that would be very... I mean, propaganda is usually fed to the people that it's trying to keep on its own side, not the enemy. So I would imagine that lots of Chinese people really liked this version because it's allowing them to accept what their government is doing and say, look, we're just trying to be one family again, you know, but I would imagine for people in Hong Kong, that would be horrible. If this was viewed in a propaganda way, that would be awful to have another, a much bigger and more powerful country trying to invade your territory, basically, and decide what you will do and what you won't do via this film of unity. I mean, that's like V for Vendetta. Unity means dictatorship <laughs> yeah. in these cases because you need to have an enemy and it's really easy to have an enemy when you're afraid and when you're afraid, you become a unit. Oh, wow. But <laughs> if we don't view this as propaganda, I love it. <laughs> I don't know if that's fair, if I'm allowed to like it that much, but... If it's just a film on its own and you're taking it out of the historical context or uh, modern context even, it's really effective and period. I don't know. <laughs> I agree. Because without reading what time it was filmed, I thought this was like the coolest version thus far. I mean, in, in the timeline. Yeah. And like, even though Ping was sort of annoying because he was like protecting her, I'm like, yeah, we, I, don't, I don't think you need to be there anymore, dude. But I mean, he was okay. He was a comic relief. And that's what I saw him as when I was watching the film. These waters are not necessarily safe. I mean, it's it's very easy to slide off into communism and human atrocities and labor camps like all this like really horrible shit that's going on and has been going on in china and then on the other side you have some really excellent filmmaking to be honest and storytelling yeah. uh, what they did in this film in what year was this so 1964 what they did in this film in in terms of storyline and character development the things we talked about it's like 20 times better than the Disney version that came out in 2020. It lacks all of the things that this film did well. It's just really unfortunate, I think, that it who made this film could make it worse than... Do you know what I'm saying? I'm not saying yes. it very well. I know what you're saying. I wonder if it's coming across <laughs> for our listeners, but because I, I know what you're saying, I agree. And I think it helps that it was made in Hong Kong and it is in Mandarin. It's not in Chinese. I mean, I think there are some things that do 
lend itself to it being okay. I wanted to be okay to like this film, I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> but that's not really up to me, is it? Yes, it is. If it's your opinion, it is up to you. I mean, sure, sure. I, I think I would rather hear from a person who knows the culture and who has lived in the culture and knows Chinese history versus Hong Kong and all that fun stuff. But as a white person <laughs> in 2021 in the U.S., I really liked it. <laughs> oh, I just want to add the ending of this one was so sweet. And it could have gone the wrong way, depending on what the fiancé presented to Milan at the end. Because if it was some, like, feminist item where it's like, oh, I'm going to come back, honey. Just wait here. Here's a bridal veil. And that they don't have those. But something to do with a wife role would have really killed the mood. <laughs> but instead, what he gives her is this beautiful sword. So it's like, boom. He still honors her. He understands that she's not going to be a typical wife. She's going to know things that he knows, be able to fight. And I love that. I, I feel like that was another big Western bang to end with. What did you think? I Yeah, I loved it. It gives me chills. I love that he's so respectful. All the reasons he loved her to begin are still there at the end. He just gets to like realize that she's female and he can be closer to her, which is great. But yeah, like everyone, it wasn't just him, but everyone seemed to still hold her in high regard. They respected her. I mean, even in some of the other ones, it's not like they disrespect her at the end, but there's sort of like a standoffish thing or no comment at all, which I think is really telling. But in this one, you don't get that. You get very much him giving her a sword and being like, let's get married if that's what you want. <laughs> and things can continue as they are. They don't need to necessarily change. Yes. What, I was repeating what you just said. But yes, I loved it. <laughs> no, you you said it. You said more. I kind of even forgot that it was her choice to marry him. She even tells her mom when she comes home, like, you don't need to find me a husband. I have one. He's waiting outside. Let me change. Yeah. And go go ask him. Yeah. It was very empowering. Ugh. Yeah. So I think we'll wrap up here and pick it up next episode. I'm pretty sure this is going to be five parts, but it might be four. We're not sure yet. So we'll see how far we get. And if you're still with us, thank you. That's awesome. And you can like us on all the things or email us or rate us on iTunes. That would be great. Or if you could share this with one of your friends, that would also be awesome. And we'd really appreciate it. And thank you, of course, to Mr. Jesse Martinez for being our one Patreon member. Thank you. Really appreciate your faith in our project. I'm just going to leave it at that. Until next time. <laughs>